What's up, listeners? In this episode, you're going to hear a lot about something called BYB, which stands for Balancing Your Biotype. And if you are interested in having your own Balancing Your Biotype experience, click the link in the show notes below or go to rgpdevelopment.com slash BYB and work one-on-one for six weeks with one of our certified biotype coaches to get results in your life to balance your biotype and your personality. We'll see you over there and enjoy the episode. Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Plates, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. I have so many things I want to talk about. I've past. Where's you guys? Brian, wait, was that a joke? He kept he kept glitching out. I thought he was doing like a bit. Why do I look what? Why do you look swollen? I don't know. Alcohol? Where do I look? Where do I, I haven't been drinking. Have where you been drinking home? your weight in beer? Oh, I'm I'm 20 pounds heavier than you last saw me. Oh, that's the reason why. I've been. Um, I don't like that I look swollen, but uh, I've uh, I made it a plan this summer because I've been 150 my whole adult life, and I hate it. I've been wanting to. Only melancholics can say this, by the way. Yeah, I know. And so I basically uh, was like, I'm just going to eat fucking everything this summer and try to gain before I like start working out. And now I'm up to 169, which I've never weighed this much before. Oh, so life. you're in the Rodrigo diet. That's right. I don't, I, 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 it's just temporary. <laughs> it's not sustainable for life. Do I look uh, swollen? Are you, um, are you working? No, swole doesn't mean swollen. It means like, like. No, no, fit. he didn't mean it that way. He thought, he's thought no, swollen. No, you look swollen. Like I, like yeah. stung by a bee? <laughs> Not stung by a bee, but like you drank yourself to bed the last week. I don't like this. I hate this podcast already. <laughs> I- <laughs> Tell us about your TSA experience. And then well, we've now, got some cool hold guests on, now, here. Now I feel, hey, Matt, how does my face look? Does my face look swollen in real life? Hold the microphone up so we can hear Matt's answer. I feel like I look just like as a person. Well, Rodrigo is like, you look swollen. And I was That's like, what do you mean? Person, yes. And now, sorry, I'm talking to Matt. Excuse me. We love Matt. Yeah, it doesn't look unhealthy, right? Like, okay, well, listen. <laughs> Thank you. Apparently, I look really healthy, according to my roommate. Maybe Your it's the eyes light. just look smaller. Yeah. Well, yeah, well maybe, also part of it is here. Maybe Brian, if my face is many, bigger, my eyes look smaller. How many minutes ago? No, no, no. How many minutes ago did you wake up? Less than one. There. Yeah, that, that, that does not it. help. Yeah, he's got he's got tired eyes and and his face is a little thicker, so it just looks like he had an encounter with a bee that didn't go well. But he's, I, he's I, fine. I, what? This is my normal look. This is so rude. Did you kill this a bee? This is with so your rude the way you're talking to me. Uh, I have been <laughs> smacking my beak on some bees. <laughs> Listen to me. I have a story for you. Are you listening? You ready? We're we're listening. Yeah. One time I was in Greece. This is this is like two thousand years ago. This is when Brian met Hippocrates and learned about biotypes. That's right. Back when I was a skinny-faced twenty-five-year-old, um, and we were in Greece. Me, and my friend Shane, and my friend Cameron, and we were. It was just you know we we're mid twenties in the summer, and we bought you know like those things you buy when you're a kid. It's a little snake in a in a can or whatever, or it's like a can of like peanuts. You open it up and a snake pops out. It's like a classic prank. Do you have that in Mexico, Rodrigo? Um, we've all seen that in American movies. I've never Great. seen it on a store. 
So yeah. in Mexico, there were snakes. There was one that exactly. was <laughs> the Greek version of it, I guess. We found it in a store and it was a little jar of mustard, like a Dijon mustard. And you open it up and what pops out is a little penis on a spring. And we thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Very Greek. Mustard and penis? <laughs> what? How do these two even link? So it's like, it was just like a little like jar of like nice mustard. You put it on the table, you switch it out. Like, oh, can you open the mustard? Someone open up. And like a little pink penis on a spring pops out. Ha ha ha. It's so funny. So we have it in our bags as we're going through Greek TSA to fly to Germany. And literally, like, it's in Cheney's bag. And we go through the airport. And it's a long line behind us. And her bag goes through. And it gets checked. They open it up. And they find the mustard because they think it's a liquid. So the person pulls it up. And immediately, me, Cheney, and Cameron all go, no, which was the worst thing for us to do. And they're like, why? Why? And they start pulling people. And we're like, oh, no, don't actually – we, we didn't say no, but oh, how do we, and they couldn't speak English and we didn't speak Greek. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, like they have like a team of like eight people who are like looking at this mustard jar and they're like, we need to open this. And we we're like, don't open it. Which every time we kept saying that, they were like, why are you telling us not to open this jar? And we were like, because you don't want to know <laughs> what's in it, which there's just no way to say what this is. And like, people are like behind us. There's like a long line of people trying to see what's going on. And so I remember this woman put on like these white gloves and she came in in front of everyone. And it's like a very like serious moment. She just like opens the jar and there's like little penis goes doing and throws up. And then she immediately just, like covers it up, screws it on. And she's like, go, go. And just like pushes us <laughs> forward. But I just remember like every, I, we were like, we just looked at each other like, this is about to happen. Like everyone is staring at us like, and like, we're so suspicious right now. They're so worried why we're like freaked out about them opening our liquid. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that's a great memory of, of the TSA, <laughs> I guess the Greek, they're not called the TSA in Greece, but no, I, I have a story with Greek TSA, 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 which is, <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> okay, we're logically, again. but I have sense. a story with Greek TSA too. Um, I was in my, in my honeymoon, uh, there there's in every European airport, there's a line for disabled people. So I went into the line for disabled people because the other one was eternal and we we're going to miss our flight. I pulled out my disability card just to have this Greek human being point at the drawing in my card and say, where wheelchair? You pulled it out just to have him do that? No, I pulled it out to get in the line for the disabled people because I am legally disabled. And right, he pointed right. out the little drawing of the person on the wheelchair and asked me where my wheelchair was. And it was a long, confusing conversation because this human being assumed that your disability was drawn on the card. It was <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> And then I just pointed at my ears and went like, I don't understand you. Then they assumed that I was deaf and let me through. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Monica, who has said that she loves the podcast because we can go from talking about things like penis mustard into talking about things like biotypes and systemic psychology and whatnot. So shout out to Monica <laughs> as we make one of our famous pivots into what today's episode is actually about. <laughs> Uh, today we're talking about firewaters, and we've got with us one of our uh, favorite firewaters, uh, who's who's gone through BYB, and her sister, who's a melancholic. Uh, it's Teresa and Rachel Martino. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Martino sisters. Hello. How are you? Good to be here. <laughs> so um, we reached out because we we're like, let's have 
Actually, wait, to Teresa, how did this go? Teresa, you said my sister might be open to being on the podcast to talk so, about. Yeah, I was actually visiting my sister for the second time in like a month. And uh, nice. she was talking to me low key about some posts you guys put mm, on Instagram. And she's like, what is this? Do they not understand firewaters at all? And I was like, well, we've been thinking about doing a firewater podcast. So I reached out to Ross. I'm like, hey, did you guys ever want to do a firewater? <laughs> I, mean, I love that we're doing a fire water episode but here's the thing we actually have a fire water who has done some work and created some results baby well Yay. first rodrigo what is a fire water <laughs> and how is it different from both phlegmatics and cholerics oh god okay so a fire water is someone who has the the biology of a phlegmatic so their body functions as a phlegmatic Um, the big distinction is this, what we call a true phlegmatic is someone who has the phlegmatic biotype and has a supporting personality, which is typically the personality that that's created by phlegmatics. Someone we call a false fire is someone who is biologically a hundred percent phlegmatic. Like their emotions work the same way, their connection to spirituality works the exact same way. But because of life experiences, they decided that being so soft, so caring, and so giving is going to make the rest of the world abuse them and destroy them. So they start acting like a choleric or, or a fire water uh, and create a controlling personality mostly in order to defend themselves. But they're still soft and smushy on the inside. So their fake fire, their false fieriness looks um, inauthentic in a way. Uh, like we're used to it, uh, but but it's a little bit inauthentic. Um, it feels like in the same way, true phlegmatics create relationships where they give 10 in order to receive one in return. Then when they become false fires, it seems that if you attack them at a level of one, they'll resp their response is going to be at a level of 10. So that logic is still there. Uh, but th that's just a personality, a false fire. And then we have this very small group of people around the world, which we call phlegmatic false fires. Firewaters. Um, Firewaters, fire sorry. Yeah, yeah. That we call, let's edit that. And then we have this very small group of people around the world that we call phlegmatic firewaters. We call them firewaters because both the water, because of their biology, and the fire, also a little bit in their biology, is absolutely authentic. It's biologically created. There's nothing you can do about it. They're very different types of people. Like they look phlegmatic, but the thing is this, they're not feisty. They're just like quietly disqualifying. Like they very quietly can decide if, if you're not worth talking to or if this, this is not worth pursuing or this is a relationship that makes absolutely no sense or this person has nothing to give. They just do it in a quiet way. They're very dismissive if you actually ask them what they think, but they won't tell you if you don't ask them. Now, they are the equivalent of a choleric woman, but the truth is that they don't They don't behave completely like cholerics. They see the world very similar to cholerics. They make decisions very similar to, to cholerics. Um, the problem is they're still phlegmatic and they don't have a natural connection to their emotions. So this battle between what's happening in their body and what's impacting, imp impacting their emotional body constantly is completely overwritten by their intellect, their abilities, their intensity, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the one reason they suffer... Um, Yeah, the thing that they suffer for, uh, for the most is that lack of understanding of their depth and their emotions. And that's what we start teaching them in BYB. I want to know what <laughs> posts, 
did you look at on the the Instagram that we might need to to correct or oh she has a list. She's got notes. It's the Martino sisters, of course they brought notes. I also want to know because when we reached out and we're like, "Do you want to do the podcast?" Rachel was like, "Only if my sister can be on." So I'm like, "Are we about to get bumped? (laughs) Like, what what do we have in store for us today? That like." To, to, like, first of all, Teresa's always welcome to be on the podcast, but why why did Teresa need to be here for this specific oh. episode? <laughs> it's 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 really not that dark, or you know, I, I think the the thing that I find really helpful, aside from the fact that it's so wonderful to have Teresa as my sister, but also being so knowledgeable about biotypes and just knowing me so well. So it's a really helpful. Um, space to hold to be able to discuss some of the things that are a little bit more technical things that I'm seeing so I wanted her to be here um, because I think it's just a more well-rounded perspective but I think the things (laughs) the things that I have um, are they teaming up against us no 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 no. what we have here (laughs) is a firewater bringing along your melancholic to make sure that everything that they want to get done gets done (laughs) There you go. Yes, and at the same time, I'm excited about this episode because if there's one one specific biotype that people have a million questions about and they never seem to get it right, is fire waters. And at the same time, to be completely honest, yeah, the only way to actually get a fire water into the podcast is to say like, can you correct them about something? And then they say (laughs) yes. (laughs) So let's start... Like with any good newspaper with like cor- corrections from the past. So let's let's bust out your list. I want to hear. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so here's and, the and thing. Then, and then I want to get into the who who you are, Rachel, so that our listeners that have, have never met you before can know uh, what you do, you know, where you come from, how you first learned about biotypes, what you've learned within biotypes. So let's start with our corrections first. Um, I'm going to also broaden that topic. It's not just corrections, but a lot of associations. So one of the things that I was noticing, um, and I think you'll like this, Ross, is that, you know, other mm, frameworks like astrology, um, kind of both Western and Vedic human design, like what a a psychometrics, just traditional psychometrics, what I find really interesting is pretty much all of them, there's this strong, like, um, balance of either fire, water, introvert, extrovert. There's always, I'm always split. All of my profiles are split hundred percent. Um, and it made me think a lot about like breaking down fire, water and understanding that. Now, some of the things that I, that brought to mind, there was, there was a, a post about being rebellious as fire, water, choleric, but I find it really interesting. I don't see myself as rebellious, but I do see myself as nonconformist. So that's one. And it could be like very, very, What's the isn't to nonconform to rebel against conformity. Yes. No, hold on. No, 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 no. because it's, it's oh. a psychological gymnastics thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. To say, <laughs> because re- rebellion almost feels like going against the grain, but nonconforming feels like having strong boundaries and then understanding, like I'm going to go in whichever direction I want to go, regardless of if that is the rules or not. So it's rebelling. It's an inner limit instead of a war. Like it's, I'm not against anyone, but you cannot come in here and tell me what they're like, who to be and what to do. It's like it's chaotic. It's chaotic neutral. If you were to put it in the 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 breakdown of like the D and D character things, where it's like I'm going to do whatever I want, not 
to impact the world in for better or worse, but just because I refuse to conform versus I see what you, like rebellion can be construed as contrarian, but nonconformist means if it, if it goes with the, the way that society wants, so be it. But if it goes against the way that society wants, also so be it. Did I do a good job with that? I think you did. I think what's interesting is rebellious to me is like a response to stimulus or a response to something as opposed to saying like, I'm going to follow the norm or I'm just going to make decisions. And to your point, whether they fall into the norm or not is like somewhat irrelevant. It's not completely irrelevant, but it's a different way of looking at it. And I appreciate that some of this, I'm of course, like, I, I just, I'm curious to understand if it's a bias or if it's, you know, a blind spot or if it truly is just a better way of understanding myself and my motivations. Well, I think you actually bring up a really good point and it is a better word. I think cholerics and firewaters would be more nonconformist. And I actually think false fires would be more rebellious if we're talking about what Mm. is driven by stimulus and response, right? Um, because if we think about which biotype personality is most likely to rebel against something for the sake of rebellion, Rodrigo, would you agree that that would be false fires? Yes, I agree with it. And just for the sake, you guys know that I love my etymology and and I just checked on it. The, The big distinction has to do with showing yourself. Like it comes, rebel comes from reveal, uh, to unveil, like to show yourself. Uh, So it's like, it it literally means like unveiling and pushing back. So it's like, this is who I really am. That's rebel. But if if all you're doing is non-conforming, you're not showing your colors, you're not fighting anyone, you're just behind this closed door. I don't give a shit what people say. I don't I don't care what they think I should do, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it is kind of the same thing, but showing the world and fighting them, or just going like, Yeah, you do your thing, I'll do mine. It's rebellion light. <laughs> well, it's it's also interesting, Dire right? Rebellion. Because yeah. I remember in BYB having a specific conversation about how I saw something and whether I needed to, you know, make it known. Um, and I remember, Ro, you saying to me, you're like, you're not going to waste your energy on that. Like, unless you need to. Like, so so these things are, yep. are somewhat linked in my mind. They are. Um. The other thing is, and and this wasn't a post, but I have a particular interest in like intensity versus anger. Like I feel Mm. like sometimes people like bucket intense intensity as anger. And I think that there's a distinction. And I think that's the same thing at all. Yeah. That's an important distinction. Like anger has to do with showing the emotion of reacting in a negative way to something. Being intense just means like you're, you're, you're very present. You're very there. You really care. You're really paying attention. <laughs> you really know what you're talking about. If you're talking, that's an intense human being. And if you don't yes. know, you're intense, like you're intense at listening so that you finally get it. So intense is just like playing life on very present mode. Mm. <laughs> there you go <laughs> what a gift um, i think that's that's adderall in uh human form it kind of is <laughs> yeah <laughs> um two other ones one is kind of competition and being competitive so 
I think I am competitive, but in maybe a non-typical way. Like I have no interest in like competitive sports and that type of thing. I'm very competitive with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it depends on like what I'm giving energy to. Uh, but I found a lot of associations with like choleric firefighters being intensely competitive. And I just I don't know exactly the distinctions there, but I think there are, are layers to unpack. In oh, this is, I love that we're splitting hairs with this. Like, this is interesting. I mean, <laughs> firewaters are as competitive as choleric men. The, mm. the huge distinction there, I believe, has to do with how male, the male brain and the male society works and how female brain and female society works. Remember that masculinity is hierarchical. And the results of what we get as men are directly linked with the space and the hierarchy and the hierarchy that we occupy, which is not the same for women. So as a guy, you need to prove the level of the hierarchy that you're on. This is why like douchebag guys, when they're trying to pick up a, a girl, I start pretending like they belong to a different tier in the hierarchy than what they actually belong to, because that makes men have access to a bunch of things that that they would never have access to but in the in the feminine world it's completely different you you are competitive but you don't need to brag about it that's actually seen as something uncomfortable that's actually seen as something undesirable it's it feels exactly as intense of a battle as a choleric the difference is in the end you're actually doing it more for yourself than for other people to notice So it does feel like a battle with yourself. It's this is a reason why firewaters when they when when they destroy someone in competition, they usually don't hit them when they're down. Like they usually don't go like I'm better than you. Say it, say it. That a choleric would. It's more like I'm better than you. Do you want me to help you up? <laughs> Wait, are you saying that women do things more to prove to themselves than to other people, and men is I'm more? I'm I'm talking about uh like I'm talking about fire waters in particular but the okay. thing is as a woman what gets you better results in life is not uh like showing up and proving that you're better than everyone else in fact that makes you someone uncomfortable to be around and it'll it'll make competitive men around you try and destroy you because you're saying I'm playing your game like and women will try exactly to tear you like down you. too Yes. Oh, yeah. women will destroy you from afar and men will destroy you to your face. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Like women will gossip about you and destroy your reputation. But men will go like, fuck that girl. I'm going to take her job. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. Because she's, when you start playing the game as a man, other people treat you as a man, which is something that everybody hates. Everybody involved hates. But the truth is women are competitive too, just in a very different way. You don't brag about your status and your level in the hierarchy. What you do is you prove through results the the benefit that having you creates both intellectually emotionally whatever is necessary that's why when you see very feminine women that are very powerful in their femininity they they have this little smirk when you realize that they have an asset that you didn't know they had like for example when you hire when you hire this brilliant intelligent woman into your company and then suddenly you realize that she actually knows how to use certain things in the computer that you didn't know and then you look at them and you go like wait excel does that and and the the lady looks at you and just gives you a little smirk and goes like yep 
And th- that's her bragging. That's, that's her, I'm better than you. But it's not in a bad way because it's still about giving and showing and nurturing. So she won't brag about it, but she'll have that microsecond of, oh, in fact, I'll, I can give you a perfect example. Have you, have you ever seen videos? I'm, I'm asking Ross and Brian here. Have you, have you ever seen videos of Teresa dancing? No, I didn't know you danced, Teresa. How how have you? <laughs> you looked, she looked, that's she looked incredibly. I knew she was gonna do it. She did it, patrons. Look at that. That's the smirk that I'm talking about because she's an amazing oh, dancer. <laughs> Who were right. we looking at there? Because I was like, was it Rachel or or no, Teresa? It was Teresa. Like, this yeah, like every time cover? someone every time someone finds out that Teresa is actually an amazing salsa dancer, there's a little smirk in her. And it's like, she she's not going to, she covered her. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And she's not going to brag about it. And like, if she were a singer, she would be like me. Hi, my name is Rodrigo and I'm an amazing dancer. Like that's, that's how she would introduce herself. The but, thought of introducing herself that way is making her cringe. I know. Yeah. That's, that's an insane way to introduce yourself. I would not hang out with that person. But you do. You work with them. Yeah. No, no, but you say I'm a Mexican. You don't say I'm an amazing therapist. I but mean, you might. You might start. Me, but you want I've to hear worked. who I destroyed at an airport? This, this time? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You did start with two stories about how you totally pwned two people. So off air for a reason. <laughs> Sorry, I told my dick mustard story on air because I'm brave. If you tell me my dick mustard story, I, I feel bad for you, dog. Yeah. The dog. We, we hope. <laughs> Why did wow. Rodrigo just busted out a dog for the first time? <laughs> Ryan, Brian, we we hope you fully recovered from your dick mustard experience. But let's. Oh, let's dude, I fucking to, thrive from yeah. it every day. Is that what you're? Bringing swollen? it back. Bringing it back. People. Yeah. Swollen. I'm not swollen. I just have mustard. Did we cover all Mustard of your... Uh, Very entertaining. One more. One more. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, the, sorry. We derailed too easily. You're fine. The other thing is just bringing back the memory that actually we're in phlegmatic bodies. So from a very physicality perspective, I'm phlegmatic. I cannot eat like a choleric and thrive. I do not get sunburned. I did see that on our Facebook and I totally, totally agree with it. Many times we lump together cholerics and firewaters. And when it comes to their personalities, what they care about, like it makes total sense. Uh, but they're still phlegmatic and that means their health too. So we just need to be a little bit careful there when we're talking about food or temperatures or weather or humidity, et cetera, et cetera. We need to include firewaters with phlegmatics, not with cholerics. And it's interesting. I'd say the one real interesting distinction is exercise too. And I have a particular subdominant that's a little bit less common. So I appreciate it. I may not look exactly like a more typical firewater. Exercise is really kind of helpful to regulate yeah. like my energy. Um, and there sex is also helps. sex. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's kind of that like fighting exercise sex trio <laughs> <laughs> that I remember um, from B by B, but it's interesting because my body also needs the exercise, the movement, like phlegmatic yep. bodies do. That's really, really, really important. It's from, a double play for you. Yes, completely. It is like amazing. For a firewater, it has to do with their mental sanity, with with all the energy that they have. And at the same time, they're still phlegmatic, baby. And especially right. after they're 30. 
we know that the phlegmatic, the phlegmaticness starts creeping into the body a little bit more and a little bit more. Just for our listeners, um, this this trio that that Rachel was talking about, which is really important, is firewaters are a specific type of phlegmatic who in their bloodstream have trace amounts of saffron, that, that, that component that actually creates cholerics, not enough to make them choleric, but enough to make them intense and the intensity that we define, it's not anger. And we say that statistically, what we have seen is that firewater women, in order to get rid of that energy, have to do one or two or the, of these three things. One, work out. Two, be flirty and have a lot of sex. Three, get angry and fight everyone constantly and tell them that whatever their existing ass is wrong. I like number two. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what we recommend necessarily, by the way. Just what we've observed. So I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so those are the things I, I think those are the main things that I that that come to mind for me aside from this piece of kind of almost like this split fire water nature the psychology and the, the biology so have we have we covered every I mean like I think these are really great points to to bring up because fire waters are definitely the the smallest amount of uh People, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. The smallest, the smallest the least population common of, biotype in the world. Yeah. So we, we, you know, I've the most complaints that we've heard have been from firewaters that say I don't feel represented, uh, or what about firewaters? So it's great that we're having this episode and we get to yeah. have an actual firewater here to say this is spot on and this is needs to be shifted, even if uh, it, it goes from being re- rebellious to uh, what do you call it? Non-conforming. Non-conforming, um, yes. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Thank you, Rachel. Now I want yeah. to dive into, we've, we've learned a fair amount about firewaters in this moment. Now I want to learn about Rachel. Like why, wh- wh- not why should we care, but like who, why who are you? you? Yeah. Be like, careful what's there. Your, I know, I know. The firewater. I know. I'm uh, terrified and I'm going to go back into my shell in a second. But um, uh so t- tell us a little bit, um, kind of what your life was like. Like, what do you do? And I want to look at the before uh, your biotype uh, education. I, I want to like if we, could, if we could travel back in time to yeah before before you're balancing your biotype experience to like look at a snapshot of your life because. Yep. I also want to hear the transformation, so we'll save that for afterwards. So tell us, who, who sure. are you before BYB? What are you doing? What does your life look like? All right. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, so I grew up uh, as one of four. I'm the eldest in our family. Grew up in a tiny little town in New Jersey. Fast forward, um, didn't have a, a ton of experience traveling-wise, I think, by the time I was 18, maybe I had been to Niagara Falls, um, but very, very limited travel. And I had this obsession with the idea of the world. Um, fast forward, I went to college, uh, started as an engineering student, and I ended up kind of traveling around a lot in college. I ended up with two degrees, and I lived in France, I lived in Canada, um, and I decided I wanted to work in international business. 
Um, and then in my young twenties, I decided I basically was working for a British company in the U S and talked my way into a secondment that was supposed to be for a cliche year, um, over in England. And I ended up living there for 18 years, um, becoming a dual citizen, uh, working and traveling a lot around the world. And, um, actually in 2019 decided to move back to the U S and test out what living in the U S might be like. How confused are you? How confused are you ever since? This is not the same country that you left. Not the same country at all. No. Um, (laughs) And it is, it is interesting because even though obviously I was primarily living on this tiny island, um, just the psychology of living outside the U.S. is very, very different. Um, And I, I think obviously I took a sabbatical um, in in 2019, which I'm glad in hindsight that I did uh, because I don't think anyone uh, predicted pandemic. Um, and and yeah, so I kind of came to to learn about BYB. I'd say at the end of 2019, I know that Teresa was visiting me here in Austin um, and was we telling me about in things 2020. That she was so, so it was probably at the end of 2020. We heard about it before yeah. we thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was 2020. Sorry. Yeah. That time is all a bit mushy. It's a bit of a blur. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely pandemic-y time. Um, so that was a little bit of me in a nutshell. Okay. This is where I get to, this is where I get to step in a little bit. And yes, there you go. So that out. Okay. So, so be, you know, be, be the organized melancholic, Teresa. <laughs> I think also just having that external eyes and then also my experience of her um, before and after, because as you know, Ro has said a billion times, we normalize like things very quickly. Um, So after I had kind of learned about this prior to that, um, you know, I didn't have a really, a really close relationship with my sister. She had lived overseas for a very long time. I never felt completely understood. Hey, I'm a male. That's my normal way of being. Um, (laughs) Her intensity overwhelmed me in certain ways. I felt very, you know, I, um, I know that she always would get that feedback of being critical and judgmental. And I think that that kind of was something that, that stayed in her mind a lot. Um, We had a very like kind of disjointed family experience Um, I also would have to say that I never really, and Rach, if I step over anything, you tell me I'll rein it in. I'd never really known my sister to be in a a relationship. Like I'd never been introduced to a boyfriend or anything like that. And so I always kind of knew her more as kind of like a loner, didn't know much about that at all. And, um, even though she was, probably one of the smartest people like she is my number one zombie apocalypse she has to be on my team if I get like on a desert island somewhere she is the person that can like literally she'll know what to eat where how like what plants will take care of you what's medicinal how to build what like she will like save you in any situation wait I I don't want to interrupt (laughs) but can can we do an episode about the team that we would build in the in the zombie apocalypse and the amount of water and sanguines we would need (laughs) Don't get sanguine distracted. Don't get sanguine distracted. Uh, this is this is my this is my Olivia. Leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> oh, the zombie oh. apocalypse is my Olivia. So um and then even though she is this amazing person who speaks multiple languages, can do pretty much anything, like um, I always knew her to kind of be in, in 
more kind of um, positions at work where she worked really hard, but didn't really see as much reward for it. Um, and um, I think it was also extremely stressful for her because she was in a lot of, uh, I, I'd seen a pattern in her relationships where she always was needing to be the one that fixed things and, and was on top of things. And, and kind of, I saw a lot of that kind of like leachy kind of people in her life. Um, so that was, that was her pre-pand, like pre, sorry, pandemic, pre-BYB to me. You know, I didn't really see her ever give herself grace in, in everything. Mm. She really, she really always held herself up to such a high standard. I was like, when do you relax? <laughs> when do you relax? <laughs> Five minutes between midnight and 1.05 a.m. <laughs> I kid you not, one of my dearest friends in England would congratulate me if I sat on my sofa for more than five minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I totally believe that. So that was my um, pre, pre um, BYB experience of my sister. Mm-hmm. And then? Then we sat down <laughs> in the domain in Austin. I was visiting her and I was nervous because I had been just learning about uh, um, all this biotype stuff. And I was so. What's con- the what's the domain? It sounds oh. like a. Oh. <laughs> it's either, it's, I, I didn't know either, but I kind of wanted to see if I could figure it out through context. It's either clues. it's either a, a coffee shop or like a, a, a battle dome. I was sure. Where <laughs> siblings go to fight either, to the but death. I love the idea. I was sure. Was thought the was only one who didn't understand. <laughs> no, it's um. It's, I it's thought it was like a nickname for their house. That's my first oh, it's it's basically one of these like very American multi-use little complexes, and they're trying to recreate like a city center. So it's kind of like an outdoor mall, and there are apartments and like hotels. And- oh, it's like the Grove, but with apartments. Yeah, there you go. Okay, okay. I yeah. love so, the Grove. By the way, the name of my building in Mexico City too. Domain. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All coming so together. I sat down with her. <laughs> feel free to, uh, listeners, feel free to imagine this as a battle dome because it's much more fun <laughs> to think of this in that kind of a context. Okay. It totally is. The melancholy yeah. coming up, the, uh, up against the fire. No. Um, you know, I, I hadn't really explained biotypes to a lot of people at that point. And I was extremely confused by her because I was like, you know, I know you're phlegmatic. I know there's a phlegmatic base here because there's just too many phlegmatic things in her body. But mm-hmm. I didn't, I was, I was having such a hard time because we hadn't really talked about firewaters very much at all. We only had one real reference, um, Angelina and Julie at the time. And, um, but I knew she was more external than me. She had a lot more sanguine. I mean, at that mm-hmm. point, I didn't know about subdoms, which sanguine is her subdom. So, okay. But she also had that very deep analyzing kind of thing. And that was actually how I learned how I can feel out fire waters later on because of that confusion that comes up. But I started explaining mm. the phlegmatic experience to her in like body wise, but also throwing in other pieces. And she was quite intrigued by the, by the idea. And I think she saw the excitement in my energy. So she ended For up sure. going into intro. Well, also, Teresa just obviously understands and explains things in such a powerful way that she she does does. not give herself credit for. Um, And I think for everyone here, I can also possibly roll up my experience. So I actually took part in intro when it was live. And I still remember, Ro, you reading me 
and Ross, you came on microphone and <laughs> like Teresa's going to have a, a meltdown or I forget <laughs> what a word you used and she is just going to be beside herself. Um, and I think that's kind of what unlocked a lot of things um, because of course um, it gave it, it gave some meaning and some description to why there was some confusion and it really intrigued me. And I, it was very scary at first. I still remember coming away with like a one word kind of description, which was dangerous, um, which kind of really resonated and, and scared me. Um, which by the once. way, for everybody listening, if you're a fire water or a false fire, because this applies to you too. When we say dangerous, we're talking about the experience of people around you, not the quality that defines your beingness. It's not like you are dangerous. We're saying, yeah, people around you think you're dangerous. <laughs> yes, that took a while to uh, <laughs> sink in. Um, and then, of course, moved on to BYV. And I thought there was so much there, so much uh, safe space to to unpack um, how I see the world, how I move in the world. And um, I think just as I was saying before, kind of seeing this, like, the, all the elements that come with fire and water. I never felt like I fit in a, a box really neatly. Um, and I've spent a lot of time. Um, on kind of risks on some of the systemic psychology too. I um, I very much follow parentalized kind of systemic pattern. Um, no. No. <laughs> um, which has been really interesting um, specifically as of late uh, because BYB was obviously a period of time, but it, it you know, the, the practices around that are forever, I think. So it's, it's been really, really interesting to work on the water side of myself, but also recognize where that was already kind of present and things that maybe um, habits and stories that I've had that were kind of holding me back from what Teresa was saying, you know, kind of realizing results and getting to enjoy all sides of my fire water. But I'm really curious what questions you have or where I can kind of unpack more. Happy to do so. Well, I want to hear more about, um, I mean, like, let's stick with the personal journey for a little bit because you mentioned being parentalized. I want to hear, let's ask some specifics. If you're comfortable Mm -hmm. sharing, what was your psychomagic act in BYB? Oh, my goodness. And I'm guessing (sighs) it was one of many because what I found with, like, especially, like, clerics and firewaters they mm-hmm. don't stop at that one psychomagic act. They kind of like go on and do multiple ones thereafter. They go, okay, well, here's a problem. Let me solve it with this. So if you can remember the original, and if you can't, let us know any subsequent psychomagic acts um, that you, you've done. And we're going to give you a minute to think about while Rodrigo takes care of something. So don't answer just yet. Okay. I have questions too. I don't, know, I don't know how long he's going to be gone for, but he held up like an inch. He's got to go. There's a little man in his bedroom, and he has to go take him outside. <laughs> let him like feel like he's flying, and he bring him back. That's right. Interpret it when he did that. It's a. Uh, he's got to take water. his little man for a fly break. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Tells all this time. Yeah. My face looks fine. Yes. Yeah, it looks yeah, like a yeah, normal you face. You were tired. I, I woke up. Your eyes were I woke puffed. up. Yeah. You did look just awake, just like you had just woken up. 
but combined with the fact that you had gained weight and so your face has less harsh, you know, like angles in it, where he was coming from, but don't take it as a negative. It's not that. I won't. I'll Rachel, take this. I don't want to lose flip it around. I want you to remember where we were just because I'm about to ahead. bring up something that's going to be very distracting and I want you to be able to come back to this energy. Okay? I remember. Right, I'm great. in my Wait, 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 wait. This is the fire water. I'm in my OneNote notebook from my BYB graduation Fan to remind myself. Fantastic. Excellent. So, okay. You don't have to worry. No, <laughs> I, I need remember. to say to Brian, I've been watching The Good Place again, and Ted Danson's a melancholic. Good for him. We love that guy. I thought, <laughs> yeah, he's melancholic. His hands aren't big enough to be choleric, but but it's it's really interesting. And then Manny Jacinto, I'm trying to figure out if he's choleric or melancholic, um, but he plays dumb so well, and I actually feel like it's a bit of a biotype miscast. But I I think he's fantastic. Here's a question. Do you think Bill Hader is melancholic or cleric? Melancholic. Good. I like it. <laughs> it's so good. I've really just started really watching it. It's Oh, incredible. you are in for it, such a treat. Well, I'm in season three, but his still directing. still in for a treat. Everyone kept talking about his directing being good, and I was like, yeah, an actor directing. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. It's incredible. It's the best yeah. TV directing I've seen. Yeah. I'm what? Okay. Nothing. Barry. Back right, in. Nothing. Barry. Uh, did you bring your little man to fly? What? Okay, yeah. <laughs> what little man Ross is making, is making chaos happen. I like it. Um, okay, so we're ready to... I want to install a car seat. <laughs> it kind of makes a little man fly. I mean, when you're yeah. a baby, you get a car I seat. Mean, the, the thing blew. You did this. So we said, uh, Brian said that you have a man that's about this big that you need to take outside, make him fly, and then bring him back inside. So Give me one Boy, second. when you sort of recap my joke, him. it sounds so dumb. Oh, and he's back. He's gone again. <laughs> Don't distract well, the sanguine, Ross. You know better than this. He said if he, if he actually one. holds up a tiny little like Thumbelina dude, I'm going to be, I'm, I'll, I'll kill myself. <laughs> there you go. I guess I have to. Wait, why wow. do you have a little man? Oh, my oh, God. He has a Jimmy Kimmel bobblehead. I can't. I can't unsee that. Oh. <laughs> what is this? Too, bro. Yeah, yeah. Wait, who is that? No. Is that Jimmy Kimmel? No, no it's, it's me. They, I oh. thought you was a Mel. Yes. <laughs> if I were a Mel, I would look like this. That is exactly right. Nice. Wow. The, the, the funny like thing is, the, the funny thing is, they gave it to me in Father's Day. Uh, it's a pseudo replica of myself wearing a suit. Uh, but now when I'm not around, my kid just runs around the house with it and calls it mini puppy. Mini oh. daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So picking back up to where we were, Rachel, do you, can you tell us about your uh, Psycho Magic Act in BYB? I can. Well, there's two things to know. One is, um, and kind of like writing a letter to myself, I remember focusing particularly on the pattern, uh, which Teresa mentioned which is feeling like I always have to solve every problem for everyone else. Mm. Um, And then the other thing was that at the end, I actually, I did it really fast. Like I didn't overcook it. And I think that was the thing that stuck out the most um, that I remember specifically, which, you know, the, the content of the psychomagic act was really important, but also how I ended up approaching it, I think was really important personally for me. 
Um, People many times destroy the Recycle Magic Act because they want to make it this massive production thinking that the more you include every little detail, the more powerful it will be. The truth is that the simplest, most straightforward thing that you can do that phases your fear and your pattern in the best way, that's exactly how to do it. This is not to go on a tangent, but there's a theory with screenwriting too, which is everyone wants to make a movie about everything. You always be like, I'm gonna make this huge fucking movie. It'll be funny, it'll be sad, it'll be about family and life and blah, blah, blah. And then if you try to write about everything, nothing happens. Like no, nothing is gained. But if you focus it on something very small and specific and you don't let that noise that comes in, if you can crowd that out and just stay focused on it, people glean everything from it. Like the smaller and more yeah. specific you get, the more people are going to get from it. And if you try to do everything, the less people are going to get. It's a weird little like irony that sounds similar to what you just talked about. What's that movie? I, I everything, like, everywhere, all at once. Look, there are exceptions <laughs> to every love? rule. Okay. <laughs> no, but the thing is, even that movie is a very simple concept taken to yeah. the extreme. But it's a very simple concept to, to begin with. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's just true about the human condition. That's true about health. Like if you want to understand what's happening with someone's health, it's, how do you call it? Occam's razor? Yeah. Like usually the simplest answer is the right one. And it's, it's the exact same thing with psychology. Like when I hear other therapists saying things like this human being is acting like this because when they were five, this happened. And when they were eight, this happened. And, and then when they went, started going to middle school, this happened and then blah, blah, blah. And this is how I describe this complexity. Yeah, that's unsolvable. And that's completely impossible to understand for the patient itself. It's more like if I have a simple answer that includes all of the symptoms, that's that's always the right one. Mm. Yeah. Did you mention, Rachel, what your psychomagic was or did you intentionally leave that out because that's personal? Oh, you mean like what I actually did in the act? Yeah. I wrote a letter and I burned it and I did like, I mean, it was so simple. It was, it was not a huge, huge production. I remember it needing to be outside. Clearly did not want to burn things in my apartment at the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was, it was as simple as that. It was a video of me kind of voicing over. I wrote the letter about the particular story belief around like, needing to solve the problems and kind of appreciating that and letting it go. Um, definitely would have to go back and remind myself of the exact pieces, but those were the yeah. components that I raised. Oh, one, one thing I'll like run out, cause I was actually there at the graduation and I saw the act and everything. Um, my experience of her act was the fact that up until this is, I don't think she's ever waited this long to do an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it was in the doing and in the, the over, like kind of the letting go at the end of the overthinking. Mm. And it's so kind of late. I remember her being like, yeah, I did it like 10 minutes or 15 minutes before the meeting. And whereas for most people, that would not be a good thing for her. I felt like it was such a huge thing because of the fact that we had had so many conversations and it's not like at me making suggestions or her saying what, what's, you know, what's on her mind or what is this even supposed to look like? Um, and just the fact that in the end, she ended up kind of letting go and having it be super simple, not having to have this over, you know, kind of whelming, just like her, the notes that she brought to the non-assignment assignment of what she wanted to explain about fire water's kind of thing. Um, 
to me, that was like the most powerful part. And yes, her, her act did include burning. And I, I don't remember if it was in honey or whatever, but, um, oh, it had all the things, <laughs> it had all the normal things, but it was very simple. And, and just that ease and letting go and letting it just be that easy was the most powerful thing for me. And the fact that she did it that way. For any new listeners that we have, uh, psychomagic is Alejandro Khodorovsky's theory that uh, you don't need to really understand everything in order to solve your personality, your identity, and who you are, but just to precisely understand where you took a weird turn in your life and actually solve it. Because the subconscious cannot distinguish between something real and something acted out. And part of our BYB program is to actually put that back together. If you want to know more about Psychomagic, we did a whole episode dedicated yep. to it. Dan, will you include the link to that down in the show notes so that uh, people listening that want to go hear more about Psychomagic, we have a full episode around that. Another thing I'll say is that hasn't been her only one since then. Yeah. People, people many times discover the power of psychomagic acts through BYB. And when, when they're in a difficult corner in their life, they kind of figure out how to use it again. It's a powerful tool. Not, you not can't do it just once. Be, yeah. Not one that should be overused. And here's yes. the thing. Most therapeutical processes actually include a little bit of a psychomagic act. The things, the thing is that. Psychologists don't want to say it's psychomagic, so we just say, let's take a risk. Why don't you go to that place and write a letter like this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I remember, well, I, 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 sorry, briefly, I remember like in BYB being like, uh, I almost want to call it BYOB. BYB, uh, I was like, oh, we do psychomagic acts in life. We just call them graduations and weddings and funerals and things like that, like big life events have these physical manifestations that are kind of poetic and dramatic that represent putting something to bed or saying hello to yeah. something or giving something away that is like a psychomagic act that we just is a socially sanctioned thing um, that we just, you know, all, all do naturally. We all like inherently understand that it's a way to get past a certain part of your life and move on to a new part. It's like psychomagic makes you unconsciously revisit the part of your head that you've been trying to avoid for years. And, and as Lorena is saying on the chat, I love what she's saying. It, it, that exposure therapy to that space in your head and many times to that physical space in your life does this whole reframing of your whole ideology about yourself and how life should be. And for those of you that are wanting to do a psychomagic act, now is a great time of year to do it because pumpkins are on sale. So if you need to smash something, that feels oh so goodness. satisfying. Russ is remembering a few psychomagic acts that we've seen with many yeah. of our students yeah, going through. We go to Ross's house and there's just like a bunch of smashed pumpkins with like labels of Rodrigo and Brian on them. I'm like, uh, what's going on, Russ? Wait, what is- <laughs> and I'll oh, tell be you, honest, Ross, there's no pictures of anymore. me. It's just Brian. I will be honest. I have four pumpkins at my house right now, but that's because we're going to do pumpkin carving this weekend. <laughs> we're just going to carve your faces into it and then go to town. All right. Um, so you know, that joke didn't land. Okay. No. <laughs> no, it did. You can't say that after a joke, Ross. That makes it not land. It no, was doing it, fine it, until you said no, that. It, the the air no. had sucked out of the room. No, no. I was I was a little I was giggling just quietly. Was you laughing. giggled. Like I'm oh, telling you, this is no way. that's this is it literally for me to learn. this isn't this is important for all comedians. Uh, which is if you comment on a joke not working, that pretty much makes it not work. 
either it worked and you didn't notice it, or people didn't notice that. It didn't Unless work you're Zach, or they're laughing at you. Yeah, or they're Not laughing at you, you, but then, but you have to like. <laughs> Whatever. It still points on the board. Laughing at you or with you, same thing. Like, same points on the it's board. It's very entertaining. Yeah. That sounds yeah, that sounds laughing. so much like a Dale Thorhammer cop out. It doesn't points really matter. <laughs> but hey, you came to laugh. I gave you laughter. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring Dale back out. Just <laughs> I don't want to talk to Dale. Oh boy. <laughs> One quick thing I, mean, I will say on the psychomagic. Um I, I do think that there is a part of it that's very powerful from the ritual side, which kind of ties into what you're saying, Brian. Um, and I think sometimes we don't mindfully even acknowledge the rituals that are really meaningful and create like powerful moments in our lives. Um, the, the other psycho magic act that I did was recently, um, and it was more linked to the parentalization, which was very fascinating. Hmm. 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 I really want to know about this. Hmm. <laughs> well, it's definitely something that I've noticed more and more over the last few years since BYB um, and the time that Teresa and I have spent together. And our parents have, well, they did not have a very successful marriage. It was very, very turbulent divorce when we were both very, very young um, and have not lived in physical proximity for a long time. Of course, as I mentioned in my story, I was uh, overseas for many years, but it just so happens that our dad actually lives very near where I am right now in kind of the same metro area. Um, And that has presented plenty of opportunities, but also it really kind of brings it top of mind, those kind of patterns and the the systemic kind of placement and the parentalization was just something I really, really wanted to address if for Mm -hmm. no other reason than kind of also just the impact to my life and relationships and the opportunities that I have with my own relationships. So I was actually really fortunate because I had Teresa with me. I love this so much. Because this is this is what we mean when we tell people at the end of BYB, this is not the end of the program. This is the beginning of your new life. And and psychological integration happens like a year usually after you finish BYB and you start noticing that you look at people and you see biotypes and it's completely embedded. Like you're not even making an effort. The way you speak to people is different and it's based on their biotype and you're not even aware that you do it. You look at a family and you start noticing patterns. Even if it's just children, you go like, oh, that kid, because he is this biotype and because of what I'm seeing in their parents, that kid's going to like play out to be the king of that family. Like this is clearly the pattern. And suddenly you stop flying blind. BYB is nothing but all the pieces that we thought were necessary for people to be able to see through the smoke veil, as the Olmecs say, and, and start being able to address different situations in their life because they have a deep understanding of life and the human condition. I'm just really proud of it. <laughs> oh, 100%. And I've seen so many, I mean, it's been years since my BYB and, and years since my sister's, and I've seen so many different levels yeah. um, of integration I mean, my sister is one of those people that if you give her a tool, she'll use it. It's not one of those things that just goes up on the shelf um, for sure. And um, so to see all the different levels unfolding has been one of the most exciting things. And then also, I know during um, 
it wasn't during my BYB, but during the process somewhere in one of the certifications, I'd actually asked that to Row is, well, if someone else in your family is parentalized, is there anything you can do to work on that? Or is it something that they need to do? And you're like, yes, you can support them in doing something because yes. they break the pattern. But it's um, 100% their choice. All you can do is support them and present them with the information. If they have the intention, be there for them. Yes. And, but just with that has just brought this last psychomagic act that happened. I felt like just brought an even higher level to our whole family. Tell, it's, it's, to, I want, I want specifics. I'm ready okay. to juice. Fine. Wait, wait, wait. Before going to like the end of the result, what Rachel or Teresa, whoever wants to speak up on this, like what did you start noticing shifting after BYB specifically in Rachel's life? Wow. I can tell you from, um, My answer is going to obviously be a bit hindsight. Um, there are still things that I, I notice, and it's going to be a combination of things that I noticed or things that Teresa noticed or others have noticed and yeah. that I've taken from that. I think there was a few very, very distinctive things. One is my awareness of how much I have fought against this, like, this judgment of myself. So one of the judgments mm. I always have of myself is that I'm not doing enough. Like I do not want to be lazy. I'm not doing enough. And I still remember Teresa always telling me when you think you're not doing enough, you've already done more than most people. So just chill. <laughs> um, and bringing for, in for anybody listening, Rachel has accomplished more than like the five closest people that you have in your life. <laughs> What have you no done, problem. Rachel? I want to hear about your accomplishments accomplishments um i think oh goodness there's there's a lot i guess for well Teresa can probably speak to this but i think even like in the formal education like i have three degrees and a clinical diploma like i don't stop learning um i am also a dancer just in a different dance form um and have taught and have um i've co-authored uh, a book. I'm also a clinical nutritionist, um, but I don't really practice right now. Um, so there's just like a lot of things. <laughs> she can drive like she, she can drive an automatic car, which not a lot of American people had been you able to do. You mean a manual she, car? Manual, sorry. Manual car. Only one. I can drive an automatic car. You can't even drive automatic in the States. <laughs> no, she can drive like a manual. She can, she has the only one that I've ever known that has finished having two passports, has finished passports before they expire and has with extra wow. pages. Like seriously, she can go anywhere she has ever been. She can navigate without GPS. Like she can go back to anywhere that she had ever been before. And she just knows how to get around. She just, yeah, it's insane. The amount and of here's, here's the thing. <laughs> I know this is, this is not like a very common thing, but I'm both Spanish and Mexican. My mom is like from Spain and I know how hard it is to deal with European governments in order to get your citizenship over there. Especially like Europeans hate the British process. Like it's known as the worst one. It's known as the one that's gonna split hairs and look for any argument not to give it to you. And not even being related to someone and still getting it is mind blowing. <laughs> Well, I am definitely, this might be a firewater thing. I still remember the the company I was with at the time and, and a sales colleague who, frankly, we did not like each other, but made a joke. Like I had been living there for three weeks and he made a joke. He was like, so when are you becoming a citizen? And 
immediately I was like, okay, I need to understand what that would actually take. Just yeah, you said like, wait, that's possible? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, let me just make sure I know. And of course, then managed to navigate after that. Um, and and I did have a residency permit in France when I lived there. Um, so there, there was a lot, there are a lot of adventures for sure. It um, took me nine years to get my Spanish citizenship and my mother is Spanish. <laughs> that is a lot. That yes. is a lot. So um, those are some of the things, but I mean, I think for me, some, I am very grateful for the time that I've been able to travel and just see other cultures. I've, I think I've also noticed that I've been traveling kind of solo traveling since I was very young. Um, so I do. And, and, aging myself here but yes when I moved abroad like there were no smartphones <laughs> none of this like google maps google translate I remember that figure it out. I yeah. remember taking the wrong way on a street in Europe because I had this American GPS that I got at Best Buy which said you can turn left here and then having like three police cars in front of me going like this is not a legal street like this is for the Spanish king or something like that yeah that, that, that was scary trying to navigate the world before oh, smartphones was, was beautiful crazy. We don't get lost anymore. I hate nope. it. I, mean, I love lost. getting lost. All you need to do is wait 10 seconds for the thing to say, recalculating. No, yeah, it's except not good. When I, when I go to a place, I don't always use maps. And when I relocated, I challenged myself to get places without my GPS, which good. is possibly good. why. Yes. <laughs> I this is important. Learning those things. Yeah. Yes. Ryan, yes, Ryan you is do. just having an, an intellectual melancholic orgasm with this. <laughs> I, 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 I think we're ruining our brains by relying on these things too much. And I think getting the, lost is how you started any adventure. This sounds like the reason why you make those dinners where you make people go there without a phone, without yes. any information, without nothing, just show up and actually be human. Yes, correct. Growing up as a firewater, what were the things that were like kind of most confusing to you about the world and the way that the world responded to you? That is such a good question. Um... I think, I think there, there was just like a lot of frustration that now I look back and realize like there are certain things that are just really clear or easy to me and I could not understand why it was not clear to everyone else. Can you give um, us some like those moments? Of, yeah, I want to yeah, hear exactly. about the frustrations. Like, Is it like those moments when you look at reality and the world and you go like, who the hell made this choice? I, yeah, plenty of those. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean... It, it can seem really trivial, but the volume can get a bit out of hand. And it could be as simple as like, even within our family household, like how it was so messy. I'm like how we were not keeping things in good repair. I mean, it's just, I'm, I guess I'm just like very, I could see the system. I'm like, if we just do a little bit of this, it will run well. <laughs> like, if, um, I think the other thing is like, I could, there's a certain kind of, to your point, Ro, like read on people, I notice myself kind of reading the room, reading the people around me, kind of understanding, but it didn't quite fit like the popular understanding of what was happening. I just mm -hmm. could always figure out who I needed to talk to to get something done. So I think that there is like results as an end game, but there's also like results of like the journey and like how you, and, and I think that I was always confused in some ways by that. Even in, when I started working and like after school, I, I still remember back to the British company I was working for. 
And I ended up basically working with all of our distributors. So like basically every culture out there and they had me working with all the distributors because I just found a way of connecting with each of them to always get results. Like even if I needed to get hold of a piece of equipment, um, I could just make it work, whether it was through the network or through my tactical, like tactical knowledge or whatever it was. And, and it even resulted, it has resulted in many cases of companies through the years going through layoffs and knock wood, touch wood, whatever country we're in. Um, I have not been impacted by that. And, you know, I, I would be head to head with someone with a lot more experience and qualifications, but because I could always get things done. Um, so I think just, I couldn't like actually necessarily logically understand what was so special about that or why this was not commonplace. There's one thing I want to say, because there, there's something very revealing that he just mentioned, which is if you, if you were a choleric man or anyone being a choleric man, if you're in a house that's a little bit messy, then as a choleric man, you, you wouldn't pay attention to how do we create a system for this to function? It would just be like, how do I get out of here? Like, I never want to live in this type of result. I don't want my life to feel like this. I'm going to be out of here by the time I'm 16. But as a, as a fire water, because you actually are phlegmatic, you start noticing the impact on other people and start thinking of a system that would benefit everybody included. Because even when you don't have a clear connection to your emotions as a fire water, you do have a deep understanding of what people experience. And how it feels for others around you, which is the gift of phlegmatics, how they can just see people and know how they're feeling. You don't address it emotionally, but you can see it because it's in your genes. It's that simple. And I think that somewhere along the way, there's definitely a lot more of that. Um, mm. I think I think to your point, Raul, like I can identify it, but I think I've always I've historically addressed it far more with logic um, than with emotion. Uh, it's but, funny because I, I can see you like talking to a friend and the friend opening up and you having having like almost the understanding of a psychologist of what's happening inside this human being. But especially before BYB, you, you must have been like, I know no exactly patience. what you need. Exactly. <laughs> like I know exactly what you need and you're doing it wrong, but I can't provide it. You need to go find it. It looks like this. Go find it. <laughs> <laughs> I want Teresa to say something here. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I will say yes, but it's also that, but with everything, it's kind of like, and it, and it kind of marries what you're talking about. And what Rachel was talking about is the experience of me having her as a sister growing up is like, there was like, if you didn't understand, Oh, well, what do I do next? Where do I go now? Or as a, as a melancholic overthinking and getting paralyzed was completely misunderstood, like not understood. Like, well, there's just this, go this way or do that. Why haven't you done this? Why do you like, just do that, go there. I, I can't do it for you. Do this. And just that kind of, um, being able to take in the information, but the, the output would be completely logical. And like, either I need to do it for you or either I'm going to do this for you, or I just, am going to give you directions. You got to figure it out on your own, you know, kind of a thing. Um, when you see a sign turn right, that's how it works. Yes, exactly. <laughs> kind of like someone who's giving you directions that knows so well how to be like 
who's there. So they don't realize how much they already know. So when they're giving you directions, it's not like it makes it seem so easy, but it's yeah. not easy for anyone other than her brain. Um, and then I have also- a terrible, I have a terrible example, but I really want to say it. Sorry. I just, we'll go back to, to you that is explaining this, but asking, asking a fire water. And I know this because my sister is a fire water too. And, and she's my older sister too. And asking a phlegmatic fire water for instructions feels like asking for directions in Costa Rica. Do you guys know this about Costa Rica? Okay, so in Costa Rica, for some reason, most streets don't have names and houses don't have numbers. So when you ask for directions, they start giving you personal references. And they go like, you're going to feel like you've been driving for a day. And then suddenly you're going to see something massive to your right. I think it's green. And then there you turn right. <laughs> then, then you just keep going full speed. And then at some point you're going to see a funny looking mountain on the left. When you see that funny looking mountain, you're almost there. And there you're going to see a, a dog sitting down. You're there, baby. That's how people give directions in Costa Rica. <laughs> you see a dog sitting down. You're I, there, baby. There's always a dog sitting down. They literally <laughs> tell you a dog sitting down. Don't worry, the dog is always there. Like they literally say that. And <laughs> that's, that's how so it feels funny. asking for life advice from Firewaters. They just give you like very logical personal references that they've been using for their whole life. And you go like, yeah, but I, I, I don't know what that dog looks like. What yeah. mountain are you talking about? He's what sitting is down. Some, what is, what is like, it's been a day. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so That's very funny. true. It's, it's one of those things where it's almost like they give you the most amazing tool, but unless it's plugged into the fire water energy, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> you know? so, so I get that. But also I will say is she also did leave right after she could. Like, that's why yeah. she immediately took off, you know, Canada. Most like, firewaters do. The thing is, they usually do it older and they usually leave the country where they're from if, if it doesn't function in a cleric or firewatery way. That's why the firewater, I have two firewater patients who are Spanish and they both, one of them lives in the UK and the other one lives in Spain. Mm. Sorry, in, in Boston, because they hate Spain because it's run by sanguins. So we, we've actually... I know, Brian, you said earlier that you have a bunch of questions and you haven't had a chance to ask one. So I want you to, to ask one of your Brian questions. Well, um, my question, I, I mean, it's just knowing that you guys are sisters and you know each other so well. And we've talked all about what you've gone through in BYB and what you've learned. I want to know from your perspective, what do you think the other sister has really done well with in the last few years in terms of like growing and then what you think they're not looking at in terms of what they need to go do next little parenthesis while you guys think about the answer to that amazing question uh brian it you didn't gain weight it was you waking up one minute before the episode all the swollenness left (laughs) (laughs) what you didn't know ro is that when you left brian put ice packs on on each of his i got liposuction while you were gone getting that little (laughs) guy i believe that I believe that all around your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it, Martino sisters. It's a big question. I know. I just that's just what I've been thinking this whole time. Well, I feel like it's like a spoiler alert. If I say what she's done well with, it's kind of partially the results. I have to say it without saying the results she created because I don't want to like steal her thunder on all of that. Um, but I feel like the thing that she's done the most really well with 
is that emotional connection. And I haven't, I've seen her cry more in the last, like, honestly, I saw her cry more during and immediately after BYB than I have her in my entire life, which was a <laughs> huge emotional roller coaster for me. Seeing your fire water sister cry yeah. for deeply for one of the first times in your life, when you've seen her fall off a bike and down a mountain <laughs> and not cry <laughs> or like nothing happened like, nothing happened nothing happened um i had yeah she flipped her car multiple times and it was like <laughs> you know like so to see her emotionally cry would like threw me for the biggest emotional loop i think i've ever experienced um i remember your face watching that i i think i i think i i broke down. I think I had a meltdown, like a full on meltdown. And I was just like, I don't know what's going on. What am I going to do? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I felt this need to like protect her. I wanted to fight every, everyone that was making her feel bad anyway. Um, but I mean, to see, I've seen that in moments like when I've been visiting her and she'll like get emotional when she's talking about something sad and like, she starts like tearing up and I'm like, wait, what's happening? Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> um, um, I think she's cried um, when she was talking to my mom who has been going through a lot of stuff. And, and instead of going to this kind of like, why can't you see, you just need to do this, this, and this, she kind of like went into her water more mm-hmm. and um, just seeing that piece has been huge, honestly huge. Um, and then, you know what, honestly, I, I think the only things, because I just visited her twice in the last month and a half. So we talk so much about a lot of different things. So there's not a lot that I haven't talked to her about, or we haven't discovered. Um, but I think the thing that she, she still is working around, um, is being able to see herself clearly enough where it's like, um, how do I say this? So sometimes the um, things become a self-fulfilling prophecy, obviously. So it's just like, if you feel like you're not enough, the things you do because you feel like you're not enough usually is the reasons that people react that you interpret as you being not enough, but it's more because of the fact that they're, it's feeding into their own insecurities or whatever. So it's more of that and still seeing, being able to actually see herself clearly. Um, She has, she has been, obviously she's been working towards that, but I think there's, you know, more integration to go, obviously, of being able to see how amazing she is as a person. Cause she can spout out all these different things that she can do, but I don't think she realizes in a day how much she accomplishes versus how much most people accomplish and um, how effective she is in a lot of ways. So there's that. Nice. Yay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think, I think for me, the biggest thing, uh, and there's kind of like two parts of this. Um, there's like my personal experience of it. And then in general, um, with Teresa, you know, taking on this whole new world and putting, you know, practicing the tools in her own way. I think the thing that I've seen the most is, um, her embracing everything about her melancholic approach with her, you know, subdominant, but 
just holding space for the fact that she might see things differently, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, and I think that's like really, really important in creating the space to connect, um, and to understand through that connection. Like, I do think that we are and have been a lot more connected and have found ways to, you know, share with each other, um, in ways that are connecting and not just like talking at each other. Um, and, uh, and I think there, the one thing that, you know, Teresa hasn't mentioned is that like, we don't, we don't have any other melancholics in our family. So there was no, there, it was very like, it was easy, I guess, for her to see herself as an outsider. Um, and it's been really interesting over this period of time, um, for her to share like through her melancholic brain, because like, I find that so, so fascinating and understanding where, and she's been willing to share, you know, how her brain actually sees the same thing that like the same experience that we share and how we see it in very, very different ways, which I think has brought us closer together. And we've been able to kind of like support each other through that. It allows me to support her in a way that feels more authentically valuable to her because she's been willing to, to open up and and share in that way. Um, I think kind of going forward, I think kind of similarly, just in the melancholic way, I think figuring out what and leaning in, which I know she's already started and leaning into that space um, where she spent so much of her life um, supporting others and making sure that she carves out the time and the space to make decisions and figuring out how to support herself um, and making sure that she gets to know who she is and preferences and desires are hers. And that's cool. That's amazing. And she can still support, but she's got to support herself first. Uh, for the world to get the best. I've always felt that what Teresa experienced is the closest thing to going into life in the hardest level possible. Like showing up at a family where no one has your biotype and no one has any understanding of how that biotype works is the perfect recipe for a human being to go like, yeah, there's something like wrong about me. Like I'm, I clearly do not belong. And I will always remember, like, if we go out and, you know, she'll make a choice and, like, default that it was wrong because I chose something else. I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm like, no. Your choice is amazing. Your talents are amazing. Things that she can – yeah, sure, I'm driven by results. But, like, what Teresa can create is – I can't create the same thing that Teresa can create. Um, And they're very, very special. So – I hope that answered your question. Yay. Now so, I want to know about relationships. No, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> so you were talking about the benefits of being a firewater in such a way where it's like, it seems like this is incredible professionally. How's it been in relationships? Yes. Just before I dive into that, I will say one of the things that fundamentally changed it feels like a boomerang a bit. Circumstances were such that um, I've actually been in the same company for this entire time. So I started with that company before BYB, and I'm still with the same company. Oh, you're still with that I'm, British company? No, 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 no. It's an American company. Oh, um, yeah. But the the company I started working with once I moved back to the U.S. after. Okay. Um, 
but I'm technically in my third role at the company. So I have moved around for sure. And the one thing that was really fascinating is that at the end of the year that I did BYB, and to put this in perspective, I primarily work in business operations, but I've worked in many different industries. Is the first time since I was in my early 20s that I moved into an individual contributor role for almost a year, meaning I had no direct reports. I was not leading a team. Wow. And that was so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really interesting and it helped me kind of reframe this concept. Obviously, look, I'm employed, like I'm there to solve some problems for them. <laughs> like it makes sense <laughs> logically, but it really changed it allowed me to change my perspective on how I could add value in completely different ways. Um, things have since shifted and I am um, running a team again. But back to your, I, I just thought I would mention that because in the work context, there were shifts even beyond what I had expected. I think on the personal level, I think there have been a lot of things that have transformed. Um, I and dating someone who has been in my life for many years, actually. And I it, love those situations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, kind of a long story. So we met when I was abroad. Um, and we don't live in the same city, but very near um, here in Texas. And it's just a, an amazing um, experience so far. So I will say that... Wait, before we get into what it's like now, I want to hear, like, growing up, what were relationships (laughs) like for you? Like, what what was that experience as a fire water going into the dating world? Oh, goodness. Okay, how do I sum (laughs) this up? I'm sure Teresa has some views. So first of all, I will say I leaned hard into my nerdy side when I was younger. Um, I think the academic world was a bit of a refuge for me. Um, it's where I felt like I, I confused like accomplishments and results with love and safety um, because there was a lot of turbulence um, in our family and environment. And I felt really like it made sense to me. Like I could learn these things and pass these tests and do well, get appreciation. And then I felt like I ended up with like love and safety and I was just bothered less. The drama just didn't seem to be very loud when I was doing well at school. I very much enjoy learning too. So just to clarify kind of- for, so sorry, Rachel, but just to clarify for our patrons, when she says nerdy, she doesn't mean the new nerdy, which is like reading comic books and, and knowing every <laughs> character in Lord of the Rings or anything like that. It, it literally means nerdy, like book smart. Yeah. Love it. Uh, thank you for the clarification. Um, <laughs> So I think I ended up with this like split world. Um, there were like my, uh, cause all classes were leveled. So I had like my nerdy friends, my friends that I was like in the, like, you know, advanced track, you know, on a roll list, whatever with, um, and, and then there were like the fun friends. And what I will say is that I took, some of those patterns and I took them right into those relationships. So I ended up with a pretty strong history of being friends where usually the the friend was very social and larger than life and kind of, I was always the problem solver, you know? So like my best friend in high school 
her father would give her his credit card if I were with her. Only if I were with her. You were an extra parent. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So like the problem solver parentalization patterns, they followed. Um, And, and I feel like that, that was something that before BYV, definitely in my adult life, I, I noticed and tried to kind of reframe and figure out what that was like. And I feel like um, really it was only within the last five to 10 years where I started building relationships with like that were emotionally, you know, and like responsibly equal, like where we just enjoyed spending time with each other or, you know, um, And most of those ironically came through leisure activities like dance and yoga and very like physical activities. Um, So I would say on the dating front, though, it was interesting because I I never felt like, you know, popular, like the young, my best friend um, in high school was like, I always thought of her as like JLo, very like petite, pretty popular, everything. And I just thought of myself as like, you know, the book smart person. And having said that, the, though, the, the sexy librarian. Water, all right. All right. I don't I didn't know that I saw myself as that. But I'll, I'll sum it up for you in this story. Back in the day when there were still landlines and your best friend when you got a call was on the other phone listening in. And there was a poor guy who was like, I don't know, in my calculus class or something and was on the phone asking me out. And I didn't even think about it. I was like, I don't think so. That was my oh, response God. to this poor boy. <laughs> I know the guy. It took him three years of therapy to get over that. I'm almost <laughs> done with it. <laughs> <laughs> there was, it was interesting because I had this like certain internal confidence and in knowing like, no, 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 no. But also I was definitely not vulnerable and I didn't put a lot of, I was scared of kind of relationships. I just did not understand them. Not, not scared. Like I wasn't willing to do that. I just never thought I was what they were looking for. And I will say this last thing is that through my life, I realize now that most dating for me, it was like, I, I addressed it like it was a job interview. Like I had to prove all of these things, um, why I was good enough completely wrong track you're so nice <laughs> but well also i will interject this i feel like she also the people that she she chose prior to byb she had this story in her head that she was both like kind of not good enough in a way of maybe the only thing she had to offer were qualities of like a parent very into like knowing more, being able to fix things, being able to do that kind of thing. So she often would it, it, like attract the, the guys that like just, yeah. <laughs> Typical of parentalized, parentalized children, like parentalized children keep creating little, little kids as partners to solve their life because they're used to being the parent. And, and yeah, and and kind of also being like, I'm too much, you know, like both not being enough in her mind, but also she was too much. Like she obviously she cares very much about her values and, and what she she um, wants to accomplish and different things. And and I, I noticed her in relationship things and dating, almost dumbing her, trying to dumb herself down because she's like, OK, you know, I've got to be understanding of people, you know. I'm, that's- o- I'm only compatible with <laughs> stupid people, so I need to play my part. 
Yes. So <laughs> that was her. And and honestly, I, I know I know that we hadn't been very close for a very long time because she lived like so far away and, and other reasons as well. But um um I yeah, I never really knew her to be in a relationship with anyone she was excited about ever. Oh. Is that a fair assessment? I yes. Yes. Yeah. Until, until. I mean, how you destroy every man that she ever dated before BYB. <laughs> what if they're all huge biotypical fans and just heard this episode? They turned it off immediately. Unlikely. In that moment. Okay. <laughs> Listen to this. I know we said it as a joke, Brian, but this is where my 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 brain went immediately. Imagine trying to date someone who clearly think that they're not that amazing, and them rejecting you like you're shit. Do you have any idea the experience that you create when you go like, but you think that you're shit and I'm not good enough for you? For shit? <laughs> I can't even date shit? You think that you're shit and that I'm not worth shit? Yeah, I can see that. It's be rough. And then in BYB, we just add the before it. And you go from, from you feel like shit to you feel like the shit. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> so now, no, you're fine. Now, what has relationship for <laughs> life become for you? I, I feel like there was there was also just a lot of like evidence that had to be flung my way. So I will say, at the end of last year, and just yeah, since BYD, I think there have been some particular, relatively short kind of relationships that were glaringly obvious like if you're not going to see this we're going to show you <laughs> um and this year uh the gentleman that i'm dating we met each other seven eight years ago and what Teresa helped me like reflect on is like there was interest from him from the get-go um younger guy uh met through <laughs> dance and it didn't, you know, nothing directly came of it then. Um, there was always some sort of connection and we stayed friends. Um, and beginning, beginning of the year, um, actually, Teresa was coming to visit me and he reached out like on the day and was like, I'm going to be in Austin. Like, do you want to give me more notice in like five minutes? What's happening? Um, and over the course of about a month, there was just like more flirtation and we just kind of connected. I did not tiptoe around it. Um, really just got clear on intentions and we have connected on so many different aspects in life. But I think one of the things that's like really, really different is like, I don't feel like I'm approaching this relationship. I mean, I still have my stories. I still have the things that are coming up, but I'm able to connect on an emotional level. Um, and his biotype from what we can tell, um, sanguine, analyzing <laughs> sanguine. We like him um, already. Yeah. I think it's, it's wonderful because like my power doesn't seem to like overwhelm him because and we're able when he can take it yes yes um but it's the first time that like Teresa said I just have this natural excitement there there's also like compatibility like the fact that you know planning whether it's learning a new skill from each other or 
planning things, traveling together, making things work, connecting on a very regular basis, as in like talking once or more than once a day. Um, and then when I we would spend pay time money together, for one of those like phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay money for a clip of of your conversation in in the middle of a dinner. Like it it must be very highly technical and at the same time very childish and lovey in a way. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, it's so interesting because with him being analyzing, I so cherish that he in a meaningful way actually thinks deeply about things and is the type of person where actually the actions come first. Mm -hmm. I know this is very like cliche and like dating pop culture, like kind of, you know, you're looking for what someone is telling you. What I find really interesting, yeah, is that his actions match usually what I'm looking for. And he's extremely considerate before he actually matches with the words. Um, and, and I think that it's a wonderful balance where we can actually connect on like the emotional, more vulnerable pieces, and also the the nerdy technical things, um, for sure. And like, I installed my own ceiling fan and all sorts of fun things <laughs> because of him. <laughs> and just for everyone listening, yeah, this is what a, a firewater who's really into the guy she's dating sounds like. This is firewater excitement. That's why I was going to be like, okay, now my turn. <laughs> so, Your turn, go for it. The first to see her face. So I actually got to meet this guy very briefly. Um, we went to Rachel. I went to Mexico. Came back. We had a stopover in. In can I say where he lives? Don't say the town. Don't say the town. <laughs> Don't say it. Just somewhere. Say his address. Say it. Dox him. Do it. Say the number. Say the number. <laughs> And anyway, and I got to meet him for a second. Oh my God, the change in her energy. As soon as she's like, <laughs> <laughs> all giggly and shit. And him being like, all giggly and shit. Hello, beautiful. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited for her right now. And for him to like just like be able to send those types of things, like showering her with compliments in ways that she's like, everyone thinks she's smart, everyone thinks she's accomplished. Obviously, she can fix anything, she can do anything. But to be like, like just loved in a kind of like, hey, sexy, hey, beautiful, hey, awesome, with things that she doesn't necessarily <laughs> think about herself, like, oh, you're so petite, you're hand is so cute she's like i've never been described as cute and petite and tiny or whatever like i don't understand what's happening and like to see her excitement okay but he's, also, he's tall he lives in texas we're getting information stop it <laughs> <laughs> also to just for her to feel like they can they both have similar aspirations and everything. She bought a house after BYB and, and like kind of started taking actions in her life where she felt like she could move forward. And to kind of, for them to be able to share that as well, like where he supports her in, in things that she wants to create, which I don't think she's ever dated anyone who is powerful enough to support her in anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the fact that like, if they want to do, if she wants to do something, she has to go do it. And, you know, she's probably had a lot of people who are like, like, I don't know how to create it or I'm not gonna, he will just be like, okay, done. We're doing this. How about this, this weekend? Okay. I booked the hotel, I booked the tickets, did the thing. So she doesn't have to like move everything forward. So it's been so awesome to see this. To answer our amazing Sony's question, uh, 
No, he's he's not Mexican, but in any other way, he is perfect. He's just lacking. <laughs> I like the guessing game. Get though. out of here! <laughs> he's Peruvian. <laughs> well, Rachel and Teresa, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I'm glad we got to go on the record and and correct any nuance mistakes with uh, firewater information that's been put out over. The, uh, the social media and moving forward, uh, please keep holding us accountable, Rachel. Uh, we, we love you. We appreciate <laughs> sure. it. Be um, our resident firewater. Yeah. And uh, to <laughs> all you listening, we'll, we'll see you in BYB when it's your turn. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week. We love you guys. Au revoir. You're swollen. <laughs> no. no. <laughs>